Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. the Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. the Chimerican. And today is day 28 of 60 Days of Halloween. Um, and typically on Fridays, we've been doing our analysis episode, uh, but we've had to push back the analysis episode for Kevin and Jennifer Sluter's Combined Fears Week of Child in Peril and uh, Being Trapped or Powerless. So tonight is uh, sort of a second palate cleanser, uh, sort of a transition bridge episode between um, between Kevin and Jennifer's Fears Week and next week where we get to start on Graham Skipper's Fears mm. which is going to be awesome and I can't remember if I talked about that last time or not but uh, but yeah next week we're going to focus on Graham Skipper and his fear of going insane yeah it's going to be fun he's picked some great movies yeah and next week um, the subtitle of next week's Fears Week is going to be Nathan is a bad horror fan because I haven't have seen any of the movies. Not, yeah, I've not seen any of the movies on his list, which is terrible because like it's got Jacob's Ladder and some other great movies that I'm like, I'm terrible at things. I'd seen two of the <laughs> five, so I'm not much better. <laughs> and one of them I don't remember and I watched it a long time ago. So I don't know if that one even really counts. So it'll be the uh, we're we're bad horror fans uh, <laughs> week, but whatever. Uh, all right. So. Um, tonight is going to be again a little bit different um, we're actually going to try to rush through two reviews um, and I say rush through not to try to shortchange either of them but because one of them Eric hasn't seen and so there's not going to be a whole lot that we can actually talk about mm. and the other one um, I've already done a fairly in-depth discussion about it so yeah it, I think we'll be able to get through it. Okay. Uh, all right. So the first thing is we're going to talk about Tigers Are Not Afraid, which was Kevin's uh, palate cleanser week for his fear of being powerless trapped, which is weird because this is actually like a great movie for the fear of being powerless and children in peril and losing your kid. And it doesn't, based on God. what I've read about the movie, it doesn't sound like much of a palate cleanser. It just sounds like part of like, it just falls in with the other movies in the list. Yeah, it is. It's not so much a palate cleanser as a heartbreaker. <laughs> like it is beautiful and tragic. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, so we're going to review that one, or at least I'm going to ramble on about it for a few minutes. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about sequence break. Um, which is that bridge movie because um, because yeah, written and directed by Graham Skipper. Mm-hmm. So that'll be I fun. I think it kind of based. I mean, after watching it, I think it kind of relates to his fear too. Oh, it totally does. Yeah, like that a hundred percent. It involves going insane, and it's it's fantastic. Um, all right, so Tiger's not afraid. Um, and, and on both of these, we're going to try to do the same thing prior information, technical aspects, emotionally, emotional aspects, rewatchability, and who do we recommend it for? Um, so Eric, do you, do you know anything about Tigers Are Not Afraid? I know that it, it's a Spanish language film, right? It's from Mexico, I yes. think. Um, and I know that they were, I know that it hasn't been picked up yet. It's only been screened at film festivals so far and that it was at the chat film festival and that's how you got to see it. Um, I know that it's vaguely kind of del Toro-esque maybe, that it's like a sort of dramatic horror fantasy, like magical realism kind of thing maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't really know exactly what it's about. I mean, that's about as much as what you need. Um, I I didn't know anything about it before seeing it at the film fest. I, I had watched the trailer enough to be like, okay, yeah, I guess that's going to be one of the ones that I see. Um, watching the trailer 
it definitely brings out some of that fantastical horror element, but it makes it seem like it is a much bigger factor of it. The actual movie, it's there, and like it is kind of a driving force, and um, and a lot of what happens does revolve around that. But it also isn't that big of an like it, it's not that big of a piece of the puzzle. Mm. So it is Del Toro esque uh, in that manner as well, in terms of yeah, there's some fantasy, but. The story is just as strong without the fantasy. Um, yeah, so from a technical standpoint, oh my God, this movie is, it is, again, just beautiful and tragic. And uh, not the entire cast, but um, the the main cast is all kids. And it does not feel like you were watching a movie with a bunch of kid actors because they there was not a single weak performance in this entire film. And it is just... It's hard to actually put it into words because it is just so technically well done and and the fantasy elements work and they're not terribly overdone and you genuinely care about these characters and it is horrifying and tragic and such a great drama and I, yeah, like everything that is a good movie, you're going to find in Tigers Are Not Afraid. But again, it is kind of tragic, so... um, it it can be kind of kind of difficult to watch um, because it does involve kids and it does involve death and some of the kids die. Yeah, it sounds like it's a especially considering my fear of losing a child. It seems like it would be sounds like it would be one that I would have watched for my week if I had access to it. Yeah, like. You you absolutely need to see this movie. Um, I, know, I, know I keep th- checking to see if it's ever going to be picked up or put on VOD or anything like that, but it, there's not there's no information at all about it. Yeah, which is a shame. Uh, it's directed by Isa Lopez, I S S A, um, and this movie needs to be picked up. And it's interesting because it looks like uh, Isa Lopez's other movies are all romantic comedies kind of like they all look very bright and happy <laughs> fun little movies and then you get the post like just seeing that poster sandwiched in between all the other movies she's directed it looks it looks very out of character for her yeah like it does not seem to fit but oh my god it it feels like a masterful movie um from an emotional standpoint god. At the Chat Film Fest, this was one of, if not the top movie for me. Like, it was just so... It, do they give out awards at the Chat Film Fest? They, they it do. I think that it did win one of them. I can't remember which one. But, like, it, it was just so emotionally captivating. And, and even though there were some parts that I guess some people would think, oh, well, they're just playing on people's emotions to play on people's emotions. Like, it didn't feel like that. Mm. It felt like a genuine, look, if we're going to tell the story of kids living on the street because their parents are being, you know, basically killed by uh, drug lords and the government's not doing anything about it, like, you have to show how heartbreaking that actually is. And and this movie captures it and just... Oh God, it's, it's beautiful. And we are going to get into this a little bit, uh, on the analysis episode. So not wanting to, not wanting to go into too, too much. By the way, it won best feature at the Chattanooga film festival. So yeah. it won the top prize. And so, it's like, if you look at the accolades that this movie has already won before it's even been picked up, it's insane. Like it's won tons and tons of film festival awards already. Yeah. It, it is ridiculous that this movie is not picked up yet. And 
yeah, if you are not uh, familiar with uh, Iza, Iza, I am so sorry that I'm mispronouncing that name. <laughs> I'm just not sure where the emphasis actually belongs. If you're not familiar with her work, she is like definitely someone to keep an eye on because romantic comedies to this, like I, I want to see what's next. Uh, in terms of rewatchability, it's like a lot of the movies that we've talked about that are like, oh my God, this movie is amazing and really difficult to rewatch. Like it is a must see. But again, because of the nature of it, you're probably going to need some space in between rewatching it. Um, it, it. It's just emotionally draining in a good way, like in the way that it is supposed mm-hmm. to, but just emotionally exhausting. Um, and in terms of recommendation, I recommend this movie for everyone. Period. Some people are going to hate it because kids die. And yeah, that's a spoiler, but also not because whatever. Um, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it by saying who dies, but kids die. So it's rough. It is a hard watch, but like it is just so well done that anyone who appreciates cinema, anyone who appreciates film, this must be seen. So yeah, there, there's Can't my wait. super quickish take on uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. All right. Now it is time for me to speak. Yes. <laughs> I, I have said many of my words. <laughs> <laughs> so sequence break uh what prior information so i don't remember where i first heard of this movie honestly i think that uh i first stumbled upon it just looking through graham skipper's imdb page after watching beyond the gates and that at the time it was just his upcoming film and thinking like just based on the premise it sounded really interesting and then you know i've heard you talk about it on the gargoyle podcast before i was actually on the gargoyle podcast <laughs> sure um, I knew it was heavily reminiscent of like Cronenberg films. I've seen lots of comparisons to Videodrome and Existence. Um, and I think that gave me some false expectations about what this movie is. I completely agree. There are definitely elements. I definitely understand why those comparisons are made. And I'm fairly certain that Graham himself has said that it's inspired by Videodrome in a lot of ways. Um, but it's not really like Videodrome. Yeah. It's, it doesn't really take any kind of political stance on, or I don't even know if political is the right word. It doesn't, it's not really about video games, I guess, or like, because with it, Videodrome, it's more about like the way that we consume media and the way that the media consumes us. And right. I guess there is a little element of that with Sequence Break, but it's more on a personal level, I think, with, with Sequence Break. Yeah. And, uh, like, I, I feel like the comparison to Cronenberg is both accurate and misleading. Yeah. Um, and not in a, like, well, it's not really like it. It's just, well, I'll get into that in, in the technical in just a second. Um, yeah, so um, my prior information, and again, I've already talked about this at length, so I'll minimize what I'm going to say. I actually had no idea who Graham Skipper was before... Uh, before just a couple of years ago, seeing him in Matt Mercer's short Feeding Time and then Jackson Stewart's uh, feature length Beyond the Gates. And I instantly fell in love with both of those movies. And yeah, like now I am just like all all aboard. The Graham Skipper is awesome. <laughs> Matt Mercer is awesome. Jackson Stewart is awesome. Like I am full on with these guys know their indie horror and I they they are they're just awesome. And I, and I love them. Um so yeah, like I very quickly got onto the, oh man, these guys are great. First time that I saw a sequence break, I had to leave halfway through it 
because it was at the chat film fest and there were too many other movies that I was running back and forth to, but I've seen it like three or four times since then. Oh, so, wow. okay. so you've seen it quite a few times. Just, just a few. Uh, all right. So what did you think of it technically, especially with having some of that Cronenbergian comparison? Um, oh, and uh, Graham actually posted the other day, yesterday, I think, that Cronenberg is aware of sequence break. Oh, yeah. I saw that. He posted on Twitter. Yeah. Because they, they mentioned it in an interview with Cronenberg because of uh, Beyond Fest where they're doing like marathons of Cronenberg movies, which, man, I wish I could go to. This right. like so much fun. Uh, so, yeah, like even Cronenberg is like, yeah, sure. There's there's the comparison. So it does exist. But with some of those expectations set with the prior information, I guess that would be more in the emotional, whatever. Anyway. What did you think of it technically? <laughs> um, I think that the thing that jumps out about me, uh, jumps out about this movie for me is the style. You know, it's really low budget, um, but I think that Graham makes the most of the resources he had. Um, there's like really great sound design, a lot of clever editing and lighting tricks that he uses to kind of disorient you. Um, I don't, it's, it's just, it's really interesting. It, there are times where, I mean, it is kind of about obsession and about the main character kind of, I don't know if going crazy is the right word, but he does seem to be kind of losing his mind a little bit. And there are times where it the movie makes it seem like he's short circuiting in a way, which is like, that's exactly what I think he's trying to go for is like the characters are short circuiting. And it's very interesting the way that he combines all the different elements of film form to make that happen. Like he has to get very kind of clever with what he has available to him because he, it is a low budget film. Um, so I think that it's, it's very well directed. Um, there's a lot of really cool effects in this film that I really like a lot. Yeah, I love the practical effects and just the super squishiness. It's very squishy. It's a, squ- <laughs> it's a squishy movie. It is so squishy. <laughs> it is uncomfortably squishy at times, yeah, and I love it's that. It's such an avant-garde film. It's It was one that it took me a little while to really kind of get into it because at first it, it starts off almost more as kind of like a romance, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little awkward at first, and I didn't... So basically there's the main character is Chase Williamson. He plays Oz who works in a computer shop. Um, he's like very much like you can tell that he, the guy lives and breathes and doesn't really care about anything other than just like working on these arcade cabinets, yeah, playing video games and stuff. And then this girl takes an interest in him. Um, oh, I can't remember her character's name. She's played by Fabienne Therese, I think is how you would pronounce her name. She's also, it's funny because they're both in John Dies at the End, which is a movie I really like. Tess is her character. Tess, name. that's right. Okay, Tess. Um, she's, the romance at first didn't really work for me because it seemed too quick. And I it didn't really explain why she was interested in him, which I think is deliberate because of events that happen later on in the film. It kind of, I think it's wanting you to question why she's, into Oz because Chase Williamson's really great at being very kind of unassumingly awkward. Yeah. He's like, he's really awkward. He doesn't really talk very much. You know, he just, he just seems to be kind of in his own little world all the time. And he does a great job with the role. Um, and so at first I wasn't really into it, but as the relationship develops, you know, they get a little more at ease with each other. And at that point I'm like, okay, I get this. Like I really, I really started to fall for those characters and they had in their quirks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because, um, so I love this movie. I absolutely love this movie. The first time that I saw it, 
Um, it, it's weird. Like I wasn't crazy about their relationship. Mm. And then like, there's just a point where I'm okay with it. Yeah. But like, I, I don't know what leads to that. Like it's, it's really weird of typically I can point to, well, like this is how you see the characters grow. This is how you see them develop together. This is how you see their relationship. Mm. And so this is why you care about not only the individual characters, but about them in the relationship. Yeah. And I get to that point with them, but I don't know how. Yeah, well, I think that for me, at a certain point, I realized... At first, you know, I was just looking at this as just like a typical movie movie, which sounds weird. But this movie operates on a dream logic that wasn't very apparent in the beginning of the film. And as it progresses, when things start to get a little bit more weirder, it's it's, it's only 80 minutes, but it's still kind of a slow burn in terms of like you don't really know exactly what you're getting yourself into at first. Yeah. And as things get progressively stranger and the characters start to act a little bit stranger, like you realize exactly what you're getting into. So I think at that point, once I realized and kind of settled into the tone of the film, it made it more enjoyable for me. And I understood what they were trying to do yeah well and it is very character driven so yeah like you don't have a whole lot of world building you don't have a whole lot of like here's everything else that's happening which might make this a bigger story yeah there are only <clears throat> four or five people in the entire movie five people in the entire movie I'm yeah and then sure. like some extras in the back yeah um but but yeah like it is all about these characters it is very specifically very much about Chase Williamson's character. And so like, as you're watching it, especially with some of those comparisons to Cronenberg and being a bit more societal, like I I think maybe that's why it can be a bit misleading with that comparison is it's less about society and it is much more about an individual. And so like watching the movie as Chase's character, I feel like that makes a difference, but yeah, like it it just I think that it takes a little bit to get there especially with some of the build up or like seeing the poster which I love the poster. Yeah. Super creepy uh, arcade game sucking this dude in and then you're and like see, that's okay where's, what I was where's ex- the creepiness like that's what's what that I was gonna expecting. Happen? Yeah, I thought that most of this movie was going to be him like sucked into some kind of arcade cabinet and it was going to be like a Tetsuo kind of thing where there's like he's like becoming one with the machine or something like that that's kind of what the the earlier views that i read and um the posters and things led me to believe yeah but that's really not what this movie's about at all yeah i mean there's there's a little bit of that but it's more toward the end of the film it's 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 leading to that yeah and like that's not the focus of it exactly um, well, what do you think of it emotionally? I mean, they, there is definitely a lot that I think is done very technically well. Um, you know, there are, there are some shortcomings, um, but but just watching it, like how what what do you think of it emotionally? I'm still trying to sort out how I feel about this movie because <laughs> I just watched it yesterday, and I don't think that's enough time to really figure out how I feel about it. Like, I really like the themes, and I do find it kind of relatable because for me, like what I'm starting to feel is i think that it's kind of about a balance between your passions or like passion and obligation Mm -hmm. because you know at first oz mostly just he just cares about games like he there's nothing else in his life he doesn't have anything else going on but then when he falls in love he's kind of struggling to find that balance between his passion for his girlfriend and his passion for gaming and then that kind of is where all the squishiness comes in with the arcade cabinet that gets very 
interesting. Yeah. Uh, very possessive. The The game is uh, a lot of trying to find himself. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I really, I really like that about it. And again, like I find it very relatable because, well, let's take the podcast, for example. Like I really enjoy <laughs> doing this podcast. This podcast is sucking you in. It's sucking me. Well, it's like I, trying to find time to work in all these movies and do the podcast and also juggle you know, having kids and having a wife and having a job and all that. So I feel like in that way, it feels very relatable because it is a sort of about finding that balance. Yeah. That was my interpretation of the event. This movie's very, very open to interpretation. Like you can tell that Skipper, he just made the movie he wanted to make and he doesn't really seem very concerned about alienating the audience. Yeah. Like it's, it's feels very personal. So the first time that I saw it, um, again, I had to leave halfway through, but the first time I saw it, I enjoyed it, but I also didn't know how I felt about it because there had been so much buildup and I didn't get to see the resolution. Mm. So I was left very cinematically blue balled the first time. Yeah. <laughs> the next time I watched it, I knew what to expect for the, the first, you know, whatever, 60 minutes. Um, and so knowing what to expect, I was able to just enjoy it a bit more and kind of, you know, break from the um, break from some of the hype and just enjoy what I was watching. And I enjoyed it so much more mm. the third time that I watched it and I was able to kind of get past just some of the initial enjoyment and like really start diving into it. Like that's where I absolutely fell in love with this movie. And I'm not saying that someone has to watch it three times to enjoy it. Mm. I'm just saying that. Well, again, like we talk about some of those initial expectations and what impact that can have. I don't think that any of the reviews and any of those comparisons have been inaccurate, but I do feel like it can shape how someone views the movie. If they go into it expecting Cronenberg and then they get like an hour of drama with just a little bit of squishy, Mm -hmm. they're like, wait a second. I thought this was supposed to be Cronenbergian. But if you go into it like, well, I mean, yeah, it is. It's not wrong, but well, it's really, it's got like those like it's like a psycho technical sexual kind yeah. of weirdness going on in certain scenes. <laughs> so weird. That's very that feels very much out of a Cronenberg film. But again, that's more it's supplemental yeah. to the story. Yeah, and and I think that that is where a lot of people are missing the focus. Again, I don't think they're wrong. But the focus is on these characters. The focus is on losing yourself and finding yourself and an obsession and passion and compromise and like watching it when I was watching it with that filter, that's where I was just like, oh my God, I absolutely love this movie. So that's my emotional response. I absolutely love Sequence Break. Again, I've watched it like four or five times within the last year. So that's, that is a lot of times I feel it like is. for a new movie when there's so many other things that I should be watching. <laughs> um, yeah. How, well, how rewatchable do you think it is for me? I, again, I didn't know how I felt right after it, right after I watched the movie and I was like, okay, I need to, I need some time to think about this, but I immediately dove into the director's commentary because they have it on shutter, which is pretty awesome. Right. I was like, I need to know more about this movie. And I'm not the kind of person where I feel like I need things explained to me. I don't usually like to have things explained to me to explain to me. I like to try to come up with my own interpretation of the events, but because of how 
this movie is not like other movies. There's not a real, there's a plot progression, but it's just very, like I said, it's, it's, it's very open to interpretation. Like you, it doesn't tell you exactly what's going on. You have to figure it out on your own. Yeah. But I was so fascinated by it that I was like, okay, I'd really like to hear like what his thoughts on thoughts were on this movie, like what his process was. Um, so yeah, I immediately dove into the director's commentary. I haven't finished it yet. Um, but I'm excited to, to do that. And I think it is a movie that if you enjoy it, which I want to say i don't think everybody's going to enjoy this movie no because and based of how off experimental of, it is well and based off of the reviews which i'm i'm honestly uh, kind of pissed at rotten tomatoes <laughs> and imdb because both of them have it at like a 4.5 well in, in their respective ratings imdb is out of 10 I, so 4.5 i'm not surprised by that at all rotten tomatoes has it out of 100 so it's at 45 percent. but it's just like i'm not surprised honestly <sighs> but for me, because I enjoy more challenging films like that, and I, of course, enjoy an- analyzing them, like I think it's rewatchable because I need to go back and see it again to help sort out my feelings on what I saw. Right. Here's why I'm surprised about the rating. Like, there are a lot of, you know, like mainstream movies that have a really either bad rating or a really uh, kind of wide range between the critics and the audience. And so there's a lot of movies out there that have a bad-ish rating that some people absolutely love, Mm. and I get that. For movies that are a bit more mainstream audience, I feel like most of the people who are going to watch Sequence Break are either already horror fans, and if they're watching an indie horror film probably already indie horror fans Mm. or they're watching it because they're familiar with at least some of Graham Skipper's work. Like I feel like the people who are watching it should be more of an audience who is already primed a little bit more to enjoy that style of movie. Yeah, definitely. So like, that's why the rating is weird to me is because uh, it would be like showing this movie at, I don't know. Like it, it just feels like the audience who's watching it should be the audience who enjoys it more, you know, Yeah, because of, yeah, it's not the kind of movie that mainstream audiences would find easily stumble on and just be like, Oh, let's check this out. Yeah. Like I have some horror, horror friend, horror fan friend. I have some friends who are fans of horror movies. <laughs> there we go. That I probably wouldn't recommend this movie to just because I know that it's not exactly their style. It yeah. doesn't have giant monsters. It doesn't have a whole lot of gore. It doesn't have like one or two jump scares, but like it doesn't have some of that stuff that some horror fans are really looking for. But like other people that do enjoy a little bit more of that indie style, like, oh man, you need to check this one out. It's awesome. And I'm surprised that I'm just surprised that it has as low a rating as it does because again, I think it's great. I think that the, I, I don't, I'm not very surprised by, it. I think that a lot of people who watched the movie probably had sort of like how I did false expectations for the movie. Like they were expecting something and they didn't get that. So they didn't like it. Sure. For me, I'm pretty malleable. I mean, I don't, even if it's different from what I expected, then I can kind of take a step back and just assess the movie on its own merits. Actually, you know what? I think that's a really good point. Maybe a lot of people who watched it because not everyone rewatches movies. And so for a lot of people who watch a movie once, if it does not meet their expectation, then they're just, they're done. Yeah. They don't question whether or not their expectation was right. They just say, well, obviously that movie was dumb. Right. Like I feel like, like, Oh, it's dumb and slow and boring or whatever. And it's right. So rather than 
rather than them saying, you know what? Maybe I watched it the wrong way. They're just like, oh, this was a bad movie. It didn't do what I wanted it to do. Exactly. And my response to all of those people is you're watching it wrong. Like (laughs) (laughs) you are wrong about this movie because you went in with a different expectation. And that's that's kind of the caveat to this rewatchability section. For me, I found it rewatchable because I wanted to dive back in and see if I can pick up on things I missed or, you know, just watch it again, knowing what to expect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for a lot of people, I don't know if it's going to be quite as rewatchable. Well, those people are wrong. Um, they're watching the movie the wrong way. It does have some creepy, not really body horror, but some Cronenbergian almost body horror squishiness, but that's not what it's about. It is about the character. It's about, uh, yeah. Again, this is like the third or fourth time that I've talked about this movie on this podcast. (laughs) So obviously I'm a fan. I might be a little biased. Yep. That's true. Whatever. Uh, All right. Who do you recommend this movie for? It's kind of tough again, because this movie, it's, it completely defies categorization. I think that's why so many people latch on to that Cronenbergian adjective that we keep saying, because that's about the only thing you can really compare it to. Cause it's so different and it's so it's hard to even explain what the movie is about really without yeah. setting up those false expectations. I would just recommend it for people who know what they're getting themselves into, know that it is going to be a little bit slower. Um, I'd recommend it to people who enjoy analyzing movies the way that we do. If you like unconventional narratives and ambiguous plot developments that are just open to your interpretation, it's very Lynchian in that way. Like if you like David Lynch movies, on a very small scale. Yeah. Um, then I think you'd probably enjoy this. Uh, if you, I think you have to be kind of familiar with indie horror movies. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because if you go in expecting it to be more big budget or to have like great special effects, which I think they're really good, but they are definitely, it's definitely, you can see that it's a movie that's made on a budget. Um, so if you're kind of turned off by DIY filmmaking, then you probably might not enjoy this movie as much. Also, and, you're wrong. Yeah. Not I you. Mean, not, <laughs> not Eric. <laughs> the, the audience who I doesn't like everybody could appreciate film as much as we do. But I know. It's, it's, it's really cool. I, I really like these kind of movies because it feels like... It makes it feel like a passion project. I mean, you know it's a passion project. Like, this is just somebody who loves movies. They made the movie that they wanted to make. They didn't have to worry about outside influences like studio studios and the marketing and all of that you know it's it's very much a movie that it feels like the movie that Graham Skipper wanted to make yeah yeah uh I recommend it much like you I recommend it for people who like analyzing movies who like trying to find that deeper meaning um who understand that film is an experience and not just an escape um I also recommend it again much like you for indie horror fans and I know that there's different types of indie horror fans. Like there's the indie horror fans who love just like the giant monster in a rubber suit type. Mm-hmm. And then the, again, mirroring a lot of things that you just said, the, uh, the people who appreciate filmmakers who make the film that they want to make because they have a passion and a drive and they just love the hell out of some horror movies mm-hmm. like that. I feel like is the audience. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're familiar with any of Graham Skipper's work, because um, he's been in a lot of indie horror movies, then I feel like you would appreciate this one. It might yeah. not be exactly what you expect on the front end, but I feel like it would at least garner your appreciation and understanding of, oh, 
okay, yeah, I get it. I think. Um, I don't think. I think that you. It is probably helpful to be a fan of Graham Skipper's other work. This doesn't seem like the best. Well, for one thing, he's not in it. He's right. he's an actor. So, um, for me, I'm more. I mean, I know more about his work in, in front of the camera. Um, this doesn't seem like the best entry point for people for i mean to him or to to him i guess well yeah because you don't see him i don't know i feel like it's a good intro i feel like it is a good intro to indie horror for that subgenre of it like yeah if you're looking for just more of the blood and guts and like heads exploding then yeah this might not be the best intro into indie horror but again, like there's a lot of people who like horror that might not be fans of Cronenberg. Yeah. So I, let me phrase that a different way. That is a better comparison. Cronenberg is not the best entry point to horror movies for someone who is not already a horror fan. Sequence yes. Break is not the best entry point to horror to indie horror if you're not already an indie horror fan. So yeah. like you have to already be a, at least a little bit of a fan of that style. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I recommend it to a lot of people, but yeah, you, you have to enjoy analyzing movies and you have to be a fan or at least an appreciator of indie horror film and, and some of the, again, just filmmakers wanting to tell the story that they want to, uh, that they want to tell. Yeah. Um, again, absolutely love this movie. If you are kind of on the fence about whether or not to watch it, uh, go back and listen to the interview that I did with Graham Skipper a couple of months ago. And we go really in depth. There's going to be some spoilers, but if you feel like you're only going to watch this movie once and don't really care about spoilers and want some of the, not, not having things explained, but a little bit more of a heads up of, okay, if you watch it with this perspective, it will add depth. I don't know if I, I didn't watch the, I didn't listen to the podcast before watching the movie because of, I was afraid of spoilers, but now that I've seen the movie, I don't really feel like the spoilers would spoil the movie. The only there, there's, there is, there's, there's one, one plot spoiler th- there's, that I feel like it's obvious though. It is. It's, it's in the movie. It's telegraphed very heavily. Like yeah. it's I, from like from the very first time a certain character pops up on screen. I was like, okay, I know exactly where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. So like there is a spoiler, but it's also a very obvious thing. So, again because watching this movie is a little bit more of an experience and like again that film appreciation experience and not just like oh no what happens at the end it's not about the end it's about the journey yeah and i think that having a little bit of a heads up on this is a little bit more of what to expect on the journey yeah then yeah it's kind of like if you go for a hike in the woods then you need at least a little bit of a spoiler of oh hey by the way uh five miles yeah 10 miles this is a five mile hike maybe don't wear your (laughs) flip-flops or yeah that's a good that's a good comparison so like it's not spoiling the experience of what you're gonna see it's just wear the right shoes you dummy (laughs) so wear the right shoes when you're watching this film I love it. Go back and listen to the interview with Graham because it's great and a lot of fun. And he's just a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, All right, Eric, where can people find you? You can find me on letterboxd at Eric J a Y, or you can find me on Twitter at Eric J a Y Harris. And you can find me on 
Instagram at the Gargoyle Podcast, Facebook at the Gargoyle Podcast, Twitter at Gargoyle Podcast, and Letterboxd at the Gargoyle. Uh, and if you've been enjoying these episodes, be sure to subscribe on either iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Anchor.fm. Uh, leave some feedback, leave some comments, let us know what scares you, let us know what movies you would put in a week devoted to your fears, and what palate cleanser you would watch to kind of, you know, get rid of those fears in maybe a healthy way, I hope. Uh, <laughs> um, if you enjoyed this episode, go back to and check out the rest of the uh, 60 Days of Halloween coverage that we've done so far, and be sure to keep checking back for more 60 Days of Halloween coverage. Tomorrow is going to be the analysis episode with Kevin and Jennifer Sluter, and we're going to talk about their fears of child and peril, as well as fear of being trapped and powerless. Um, hopefully, Eric is going to be able to be here. Hopefully, it'll be the Gargoyle and Comerican diving yep. into some fun horror analysis. But if not, then but much we're like just... with Oz, I have <laughs> battles to contend with with between. If if you're not there, we're just going to talk trash about you the entire time. Yeah, that's true. That's that's kind of that's kind of why I feel like I need to be there to defend my <laughs> to defend to your views, defend my views on Silent House, to defend why you're wrong about a movie <laughs> that's not as bad as what you made it seem like. And to explain yourself, okay, no. Uh, <laughs> so yes, hopefully the Chimerican will be able to join the us for that one. Now <laughs> we can get back into why Aliens is not the best. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, so yes, the analysis episode is going to be tomorrow, and then we're going to dive into Graham Skipper's uh, fear of losing one's mind. And we're starting with Jacob's Ladder on that one. Um, so that'll be lots of fun. And we are, it, it feels like Halloween is still like a ways away, but it also feels like Halloween is right around the corner. Yeah. So horror things are starting to ramp up. Uh, and along with horror things starting to ramp up, uh, Frightening Ass Film Fest in Chattanooga, uh, Knoxville Horror Film Fest is going to be October 18 through 21. Um, check that out and if you do live around the Knoxville area um, Central Cinema which is where Knoxville Horror Fest is going to be and uh, put on by the same people uh, they have so many awesome films lined up between now and Halloween they're doing Universal Monster double features they are showing like some horror classics like The Thing and I think that I saw Scanners on there maybe might have been something else but so many awesome horror movies that yeah you could watch it at home or you could watch it in a theater with a lot of other yeah, horror friends. The best and, way. Oh, God. Yeah. So if you live near Knoxville, get your ass out of your house and go support them and watch these horror movies in a theater. Um, also, uh, here in Cleveland, we are going to be doing a, um, a much smaller movie experience. We're going to be um, going to be doing... What are we watching? Uh, Arachnophobia gremlins and monster squad um we are still trying to work out some of the details but it's going to be five dollars for the movie and five dollars for all you can eat tacos so yeah uh and that actually starts next friday the fifth oh so yeah arachnophobia on the fifth uh gremlins on the 19th and monster squad on the 26th so if you live near cleveland then come enjoy some family friendly horror and all you can eat tacos because well according to rob alderman movies and tacos complete you yes so, and i mean who doesn't love tacos well i mean depends on what kind no okay yeah tacos, tacos are, are delicious so great <laughs> they're always good yeah mm, 
even like Italian dessert tacos, aka cannolis. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. I actually had a taco for lunch today. Now, now I just want to talk about food. Uh, <laughs> all right. So yes, um, if you live anywhere in the Southeast Tennessee region, there's lots of fun horror-y things coming up. Uh, some of them are family friendly. Some of them are for a bit more R-rated audience, AKA, you know, some of the darker horror movies, but so many good horror things coming up. Get out, support your local cinema, support your local indie filmmakers. Make some movies yourself. Support horror. Watch horror movies together. Obviously, I love Halloween, and I'm really starting to get amped up for the fact that one of my favorite months of the year starts in just a few days. Oh, man, I know. I, I love Halloween so I'm much. I'm waiting for this. For, it, we've really been building up the anticipation with this podcast. Right? I, <laughs> and yeah, if this is the first episode, go back and listen to uh, 27 other episodes talking about horror movies to build your own crazy. horror movie night experience with your friends. I really am. Um... <laughs> All right. That's been it for this episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. the Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. the Chimerican. And come back tomorrow for even more horror ramblings from a couple of horror nerds. Yep. Okay, bye.